This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 17, The Valencourt Legacy. Our first announcement is the one I know you guys are all waiting to hear about. The results of our week one bracket for series 10. We had a bunch of great matchups. So many were so close. Uh, and now here are the winners. Shadowrun beat out End of the World. 7C topped Feng Shui 2. D&D lost to Leverage. Star Wars beat out the Age System. Manifest lost to Pulp Cthulhu. Uncharted Worlds lost to Fate. Blades beat out Tefra. And Monster of the Week smashed Atomic Highway. So this week, we've got some really interesting matches going up. We've got Shadowrun versus Monster of the Week. Star Wars going up against Pulp Cthulhu. 7C is facing off against Blades in the Dark. And Leverage is going to see how it does versus Fate. Voting should be open now, so go to any Essential NPCs media outlet, our website, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and follow the link to cast your vote. Every vote counts. Trust me, I saw the results. Voting will be open until Monday the 25th, that's next Monday, at 2 p.m. After that, we'll close it up so we can do the tally. Our second announcement is that we are just about a week out from launching the Kickstarter of Manifest the RPG. Tommy and I are so excited and you know we're going to plaster it everywhere once it's up. We are so thankful for all of the support we've gotten over the past 17 weeks and all of the time before that from our play testers and cast members and we are just thrilled to be bringing it to you. But with that in mind, and this being crunch week, all of our time has been dedicated to putting up the best Kickstarter that we could, uh, which means that we haven't had time this week to do Words with the GM. We love Words with the GM, and we're so sorry not to be doing it this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll do a double episode next week after the release of the Kickstarter, so you guys can get all the info and more leading up into the finale. And our third announcement is that post-game chatter is coming up. At the end of every series, the cast gets together to answer the questions from you guys, the listeners. But that means that we got to get some questions from you guys. So all those social media outlets you're hitting up for voting, go there and send us questions about this series or Manifest or the podcast in general. And we'll put our answers together and release them after the finale. The deadline to send your questions in is March 6th. That's the day after episode 19 drops. So it's a little less time than we normally give you guys, but send in your questions. We want to hear from you. The more questions you ask, the more questions we answer because we will answer every question. So I threw a lot at you guys today. So to recap, go vote. No words with the GM because the Kickstarter is next week and send in your questions for post-game chatter. And now that our very long list of announcements is over, the only thing left to do is move on in and listen to Series 9, Episode 17, The Valencourt Legacy. Enjoy! Greetings, I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. 
I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar, Maache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsettling to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead where we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. You can call me Pops. Pops Mulligan. I see you're eyeing the preacher's garb. I'll tell you, this trench coat's seen me through more decades than I'd care to admit. I'll never forget the day they put it on me when I graduated seminary. My mother, saint that she was, sent me there to get educated. She spent nearly every spur she had, earned each one by the sweat of her brow cutting ice for Liberty City's well-to-do. I always figured I'd inherit the family business, but when I lost this finger to frostbite, she told me, Elliam, I don't want you working with those hands ever again. You're going to become a preacher. Good triptych woman, my mother. She'd have tanned my hide if she'd lived to see me become an undertaker. Still, there's something balanced about working with your hands and your mind in tandem. Helping those near to death pass over, laying them to rest with seeds from the tree of life, and tending to them as their spirit makes the air just a little bit easier to breathe. I've been undertaking in Liberty City since, oh, back before the Battle of Waypoint. Back then I was still a husband and a father. My son grew up to be an executive in the business sector. I never really did understand his job exactly. Buried him just a couple of years back. I aimed to make the man who put him in the ground hurt. I'm rambling, I can tell. <laughs> the trademark of being an old man, he just never seemed to be able to keep quiet. Alana's blessings to your friend. My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. 
but I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right, and Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Step right up, folks. Take a gander. Don't shove. You can call me Dr. Cyrus Finch, because that's the name on the medical license. I've got the miracle tonics you need to cure the ailments you don't, all available at a rate you can afford. Trust me, I've crossed every mile of Manifest solving all manner of problems, from gangrene to gang wars. It's almost uncanny how I manage to find trouble every single place I go. But that's what I got my wife for. She's a real pistol, in more ways than one. Any problem I can't solve, she'll, well, she'll put a bullet in it. We're an unlikely pair, certainly, but we fell in love seeking a cure for that age-old plague of manifest, drifterism. Maybe I'll even kick the habit myself one day. But until then, I got a two-for-one special on vials of Doc Cyrus's analeptic hoop snake oil elixir. For you, only five spurs. What do you say? The last time we left our drifters, they reached Constance Grove and were introduced to Eliza's uncle, Mayor Nathaniel Valancourt. Eliza, Cyrus, and Pops were able to convince Nathaniel Valancourt of Eliza's intentions to learn more about the mine that was left to her by her father. And then they spent a night in the mayor's manor where they were able to snoop around Nathaniel Valancourt's office enough to find some evidence that would seem to corroborate what Cyrus learned of in captivity, implicating Nathaniel Valancourt as an accomplice of Peter O'Malley, the head of the O'Malley family, one of the most powerful crime families on Manifest. The morning comes, and as arranged, the four of you accompany Eliza up towards the mine of Constance Grove, uh, walking up that steep walkway uh, into the large, tall, multi-tiered building that houses all of the mining machinery. So waiting outside is a strong-looking woman with wide shoulders, uh, rough hands, uh, and her hair kind of tied in with her bandana under her hard hat. She steps forward and, and uh, gives you guys a wave. And uh, she goes, Barbara Hutchins, Ms. Valancourt, I take it. And Eliza uh, steps up. Yes. And these are my companions, uh, Luther Manning, Father Raymond Kennedy, Dr. Fabrizio Simpleworth, and Susanna Knight. She nods and goes, yeah, uh, well, y'all are going to be coming into the mine. You're going to want to put these on. And uh, she reaches into like a crate nearby her and pulls out some hard hats for you guys. So last night, I uh, before I went to bed, I spent one of my machinery cubes to make a uh, useless but functional looking device that has a little light on it and uh, like an antenna and a couple buttons and a little tiny hammer that it, it, like you press one of the buttons and the hammer swings, which I get out excitedly as I take a, a hard hat and put it on my head. Barbara Hutchins kind of furrows her brow at that and goes, Simpleworth, is it? What's that uh, you got Dr. There? Simpleworth, yes. And uh, this is a, a machine, a device of my own invention. Uh, you can use it to de- detect minerals within the earth. 
she kind of eyes it. Uh-huh. All right. Well, boss says, uh, give you to her. I'll give you to her. Right this way. We'll walk right into the, the central shaft and then go on down to the mid-tier, uh, to the mid-tier traverse. As we're going down, uh, hidden in a notebook, Pops has the uh, map that he took from Mr. Valancourt's uh, office. And he's got that hidden. And as they go down, he, uh, he's kind of following along on the map and seeing if he needs to mark anything while pretending to take notes about the mine. Okay. Uh, she leads you into the uh, into the main building. It's uh, tall, has a bunch of like backup machinery and drills and a ton of equipment. Um, you see the area where... They load on the uh, carts uh, to the uh, to send down the hill towards the forges. There's a lot of uh, processing uh, equipment here that's designed to do a rudimentary strip of some of the pyrithium as it comes up, so that they send more pure ore down towards the forges. And um, she leads you uh, to uh, the central uh, gated large elevator shaft. And the four of you walk in, and she slides uh, the outer gates closed, and she slides the inner gates closed. And then uh, goes over to uh, the control of the elevator, which is basically just a, a large lever. And she puts it into like the, the slow speed setting. You guys begin moving your way down slowly. I suppose kind of with the aim, uh, not of making her suspicious, but of kind of like throwing her off her game just to see if she even knows what she's talking about. If she knows what she's lying about, as in like kind of like how deep does this go? Are you being paid by the family or... Uh, uh, are you a part of the family? How 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 well shut up is this? Um, I'm going to ask a bunch, uh, uh, trying to ask technical questions. Okay. We'll call that a survival check to know a bit about uh, mining operations. It can be a survival check or a lore check, but lore is at a minus two because survival is more applicable. That's fine. I'm going to go for a, a lore check. I've, I've done a little bit of studying up. You're up against a ten. Uh, it's a high 11, so that's a one net hit. Okay. So you talk with her, uh, starting to ask uh, a little bit about the yield and like what methods they're using to transport the, the material safely and how they may have on their drilling techniques so as to prevent another incident, uh, especially because you have some of the papers there that in- indicate some of the technical aspects of said incident. Um, and she talks a little bit about the, uh, the Baitao chambers and how they're not drilling there anymore. They've drilled off to the side. And uh, she, she doesn't quite talk circles around you. Um, but with your one hit, you're able to follow most of what she says. It sounds about right. Uh, what she's saying there there's like maybe certain aspects of it that feel just slightly off but she definitely knows what she's talking about and there's there's something about it that like maybe feels a little wrong she's like talking about how they branched off into the east part of the mountain and how uh that's where the next vein is just past the winter's chamber uh not continuing to go down and to the north but instead breaking to the east uh, and that's where the surveyor realized that there was another uh, perpendicular vein of pyrithium. And uh, like the methods in which she talks about their techniques, it all sounds like what you've read before. Uh, so she definitely knows her stuff and she's she's maybe masking something with the techno babble, but uh, you can't quite pick the exact detail that's that seems off. Uh, so through the uh, telepathic link that Clayton established earlier this morning, uh, I shoot everyone a thought about she at the very least knows what she's talking about. Uh, they're on their toes with us for sure. Yeah, she's a pro. Let's see where she takes us. 
And she uh, finishes up talking to Poss being like, all right, this here's the uh, mid-level traverse. We'll move on foot from here. Uh, we're a little over 300 feet below the ground here. So uh, we're going to go ahead and step on out. And she slides the gates open. And you guys are on a, a slight slope. Uh, she gestures up, saying, uh, up there's where the infirmary uh, is held in case there's any injuries. It hasn't had much use recently, though, because we've improved our methods. Down this way, she starts walking down the slope and points towards uh, a part where the slope kind of like curves and... Uh, backtracks a little bit and go and continues downward a little like offshoot fork she goes uh we're gonna head down here to the uh to the mikano chamber uh which will lead us down to the winter's chamber and then from there we can uh get down to the mine proper and you can see the miners hard at work uh, one thing you notice pops is uh this slope uh coming down from the infirmary which uh which matches what's on your map uh and this hook around where it kind of the slope hooks and goes back to the to the west and downwards uh into the Mikano chamber that's all on your map but where that like slope turns around and continues going back the tunnel continues forward uh this this little mid-level traverse extends to the east now and it didn't before i mark the passage on the map and i send a mental image to everyone showing them that i'm doing so should we go down there i would uh, assume if she's trying to draw us away from us uh, if she's trying to draw us away from it we might have to come back later to take a look hang on give me a minute and i'm going to uh i'm going to take my little device i'll say Oh, hold on just a moment, Barbara. I just want to take some readings, if you don't mind. And I, like, press a button, and the little hammer, like, tinks against the wall. And, like, I, like, flicker the light a few times, and I go, hmm, 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 interesting, interesting. Go to the other wall, tink, flick of the light. Okay, all right. And then I go to that tunnel that Pops pointed out, and I take my device over there and i'm like what about this right here and i tap the wall and uh, uh i turn the light on like full blast i'm like oh oh I'm, I'm getting a reading down this way well what's down here she looks down there and she goes the uh surveyor dug down that way a little ways hoping to maybe extend this path into something rich but uh it gave out eventually what what is that device uh, supposed to get get readings of Oh, well, I currently have it attuned to Pyrithium. The surveyor, you say, Clemens, was that his name? Uh, I think something or other. That's before I started working the mine. Interesting, interesting. Well, I don't know if your surveyor did a great job. I'm getting very strong Pyrithium readings down this tunnel. Uh, you can go ahead and roll uh, Manipulate. Uh, I'm going to assist him with a little bit of techno babble, so I'm going to roll uh, Lore, I assume? Uh, it's actually still, it's still ultimately Manipulate. Manipulate? Sure. Uh, but you can roll manipulate to uh, uh, to assist. All right, uh, I've got two net hits to assist, and I'll say yes. Ed, judging from the uh, enrichment factor in in this general area, you could uh, possibly see a vein, perhaps hidden a little more broken off from uh, from these other veins. I I it might be smart to check it out. And that gives you a plus two, Cyrus. Uh, I've got a ten high. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to spend some grit. Uh -huh. Cyrus uh, and Pops, you both get a grit uh, as I do so. And my high is now a 13. Wipes me clean. You, you say that to her and, and she kind of looks at, uh, at the device and, and looks down the tunnel and she goes, 
You know what it is, Dr. Simpleworth? If, you're, if your device isn't properly attuned, the miners do often at the end of the day store the crates of pyrithium here nearby the, uh, nearby the elevator. Uh, so if, uh, if your device isn't properly, uh, uh, isn't properly adjusted, uh, it may be picking up uh, some flecks of, of pyrithium uh, uh, left here overnight from the storage. Ah, yes. Very possible. <laughs> well, let's continue down this way. If you if you guys want to investigate that vein further, uh, we can make that happen. I, I no one's been down there for a little while, so I definitely uh, I've been in, under strict instructions, but from the mayor to see to the safety of Ms. Valancourt. So uh, we got all day. We started bright and early. I'll have some guys check down there, make sure it's nice and safe for the for the lady, and then uh, uh, and then we can check it out. Maybe after uh, after we have a, a midday meal. Well, there's our timeline, I suppose. And uh, Ms. Valancourt, if you would uh, watch your step here as you come down uh, uh, the slope, it can be a it can get a little scree. And uh, she offers her hand and assists uh, Eliza a few steps down. And, and she's like, "Thank you, Miss Hutchins. I I can mind my uh, I can mind my step just fine." And uh, she goes, "Of course, ma'am." And uh, you guys continue down the slope towards the west um, into the Mikano chamber. It is full of uh, of scaffolding and winding, uh, zigzagging walkways leading its way down. It is a tall chamber, 25 to 30 feet tall. You guys are starting at the top. And the walls uh, looked uh, deeply carved in, like uh, uh, carved straight flat almost. And um, as you're making your way down, the uh, scaffolding is creaking and not quite rickety, but it does draw your attention to the fact that uh, this this general chamber uh, doesn't look like it's been actively uh, used for uh, mining purposes for some time now. Miss Valancourt, uh, if you wouldn't mind walking back here with me, uh, let the others go ahead, just in case. It's looking a little unsteady, and uh, I would hate for you to be at the front of the group if uh, something were to happen. And uh, Eliza uh, looks around and goes, this, this is a bit rickety. Is this normal, Miss Hutchins? And uh, uh, Barbara Hutchins goes, I know, I know. It's, it's probably not exactly up to code we need to uh these walkways are long due for an overhaul uh we've dug quite a ways deeper now uh, uh for this second vein and uh, uh this chamber don't see a whole lot of use but i thought i would take you down a more historic route show you some of the old chambers uh before we break off so you can see where where the new venture truly started i'm afraid that i must object at this point um wouldn't it be more prudent instead of showing us the less stable more and I use finger quotes, historic paths for another time when perhaps Miss Valancourt isn't with us. Wouldn't it be better, don't you think, if uh, she were to take the path that is trod every day, all day? Agreed. I don't want to be walking on uh, paths in need of an overhaul. Why not put your best foot forward, Miss Hutchins? She, she lets out a sigh and goes, Miss Valancourt, all due respect. I'm trying to give you a, the best sense of, of the mind in which uh, that has been handed down to you by your father. These walkways, while old, are still entirely stable. The Mikano chamber is not a danger. And the Winter's chamber is just next door, and we don't even have to cross all the way down it to get to the tunnel leading to the new shaft. I assumed that you would like to have seen the work your father did, getting us this far, and then... Starting you anew, giving you the full history of this second path. 
if there is an objection to this, I can rearrange the the workflow of the mine, but it will take some time. I did have things arranged for uh, for you, so you could talk to some of my uh, some of my other foremen. They're waiting for us midway down the winter's chamber. And honestly, Ms. Valancourt, it's going to be a hell of a time me showing you the ins and outs of every aspect of this mine, even given a whole day with your entourage here, continuously second guessing me every step of the way. If you're so sure this chamber is uh, not quite up to code, but is completely safe, I insist that you go first. We'll wait here. Uh, She sits there for a second, looks to Eliza. Eliza says, Unfortunately, I I bend to the counsel of my, as you so quaintly put it, entourage of safety experts. I'll join you on the passage over. Er, we can let we can let Miss Valancourt and, and the rest stay behind, but I would like to get a closer look with you. Uh, Barbara kind of puts her hands up in the air and goes, "All right, uh, as you wish, Miss Valancourt. Uh, Father, you're welcome to come with me or not. It's just a just a few crisses and crosses down to the bottom of the chamber here. So, let's go." And uh, she she takes the front of the group and starts walking her way down, uh, zigzagging as uh, as she does. The rest of you. Uh, following a, a decent way behind her. Now, Cyrus, remember when I said not to do anything stupid? Yeah, I do remember that. It's still ringing in my ears, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I think now is the time to do something stupid. Oh, what you got in mind? You were so keen on searching back there, and she's way up there. I bet you could disappear before uh, she even noticed, don't you think? I can keep her attention in front of us. Hang on. I'll see you later. <laughs> uh, and I... And I uh, step back into the shadows to see if I can, uh, of course I'll, I'll send you all a little mental note if I find anything interesting. Okay. Go ahead and roll a sneak test. Uh, it'll be at a minus two given the loud rickety scaffolding you're on as you're in the, in the echoing chamber, um, as you're, uh, uh, trying to climb your way back up a couple tiers to make your way out of the Mikano chamber. Can I uh, can I assist by keeping her attention forward on the unsafe uh, safety features? I don't think it's gonna help. We've got uh, I've got uh, one hit. It's a four. <laughs> you start making your way up, but like you accidentally like knock your hand. You're holding the your little device, and you knock your hand on uh like on part of the scaffolding as you're like turning a corner, and you almost drop your device down the chamber, and you have to like reach out and struggle to get it, but it's very noisy as you like clang your body up against like the guardrails and like reach out. And Barbara uh, Hutchins looks up and make, and like makes eye contact with you as you're like reaching out, not excessively far away from where you should be. If you are traveling with the rest of the group, but definitely a little ways behind. And she goes now, of course the safety of this is inherent on Typical standard hand-eye coordination. Are you okay there, doctor? And I, I like quickly like move my arm so that it looks like I'm reaching out toward a wall, and I'm like pressing the <laughs> button that swings the little <laughs> mallet. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, I, w- I was just, you know, I was just trying to get, you know, a sense of just how mined out this chamber is." And I, I move my hand over to the wall and tink, tink. Yep. Oh, yep. No light. Yes. It looks like, yeah, it looks there. There's not much here. You're right. Eliza says, my, my apologies, Miss Hutchins. 
Dr. Simpleworth is an excitable fellow and sometimes overreaches his expectations. She looks at you and says, <laughs> and says like mentally, cool it. We're not, we're not in hot water yet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Very excitable. My apologies. And Barbara Hutchins goes, all right, well, stay close. Don't go toppling over the edge. We're almost to the bottom at this point anyways. And, uh, now you see as you're making your way, uh, as you continue making your way down, uh, Cyrus, she is, or Barbara is consistently looking back and keeping an eye on you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. And uh, yeah, you guys make it to the bottom of the Mikano chamber. And uh, further to the west, uh, there is a carved staircase leading down into the top of the winter's chamber. And uh, Barbara says, all right, here we are. Uh, down into the winter's chamber, we'll take a, we'll move down the scaffolding just a little bit, and then we'll get into the offshoot, and you'll see the fresh mine, the proper mine. She says, uh, uh, turning back, uh, th this chamber here, the Mikano chamber, was uh, one of the the first truly rich veins of uh, of the old mine. Uh, it, it gave it gave your father quite a leg up in the industry, and the winter's chamber uh, actually gave everyone a little bit of a scare. Uh, that the mine had already been tapped out. Uh, but your father, in his wisdom, uh, decided to continue beyond into uh, first Baitao chamber, which uh, is going to be down a ways. We're not going to be entering there. It's not st it's not stable, as you know. But uh, the first, second, and third Baitao chambers were all rich and uh, and profitable for your father, as you very well know. Uh, so uh, you guys are moving down into the winter's chamber. It's uh, It mirrors the Mikano chamber in some ways. It's thinner uh, than the Mikano chamber, less wide, but it looks, uh, looks like it's probably about about the same height, about 30-ish feet, uh, maybe maybe a little bit more, like maybe 40. And uh, you begin making your way down. And she goes, actually, uh, Miss Valancourt, if, if you, if you uh, take a look here, stamped into, into one of the walls here, uh, uh, your father actually uh, tamped in the date that the, the winter's chamber was, uh, was opened. In his own hand, you can see it. A little slice of history we like to keep uh, lit up. And uh, Eliza kind of steps forward uh, and looks, and there's something carved into the into the stone there. It's about that wall is about five to eight feet away, and it's kind of like shadowed. And Barbara looks up and go and says, "Ah, oh, hell, that that light done turned out again. Hang on one second, uh, Miss Valancourt." And she kind of climbs up onto the guard railing of this walkway, puts her her hands like up and starts like fiddling with one of the one of the like hanging floodlights and then looks down making eye contact with uh with Juliet and says sorry and pulls herself up pressing a, a button on a device that's right behind that floodlight and uh there's an ear splitting explosion as she does she quickly hops her way up the the wall that she was just in front of bursting out behind her and the scaffolding you're on the scaffolding you're on separates from uh, the rest of the uh, of the tunnel, and you see, uh, you don't have enough time to really see exactly what blows up and where, but you all find yourself plummeting downward. And I need everyone to roll a gymnastics test for me. What did everyone get on gymnastics? Cyrus has four hits. Pop's got two hits. Clayton's got five hits. I too have five hits. All right, so uh, Juliet and Clayton 
the damage you suffer from this cave-in is going to be relatively superficial. As the walls blow in, uh, the scaffolding begins to crumble, but acting mostly on instinct and muscle memory, you manage to find footing and, uh, and avoid most of the, like, poles and and uh, metal rods that are shattering and bending around you as you begin tumbling down uh you find like a large piece of uh each of you find like your own large piece of like wood scaffolding to like shield yourself as you uh as you bounce off of parts of this uh caving in chamber and uh you won't take any actual damage uh meanwhile cyrus you will take 10 damage uh, no piercing. Uh, and Pops, you will take 30 damage. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take a class two injury. Okay. Uh, negating the damage. Go ahead and roll a d20. It's a one. I am slowed down. Your static initiative is reduced by one. Uh, as uh, one of at, from the initial explosion, you get buffeted up against like some uh, a guardrail that kind of gives. And in order to uh, in order to kind of stabilize yourself as the the platform you're standing on tips, you stretch your body out and your ankle gets uh, caught in some of the uh, in some of the metal and the whole way down, like your ankle is like crushed by this metal and like twisted. And you're just you're just physically slowed down a little bit from a from a uh, as a doctor, you would guess a sprained ankle. (laughs) No breaks. You don't think you broke anything. (laughs) You got lucky. Well, there'd be 30, which would get me down to uh, four hit points. So I guess I will do my best to get an injury. All right. So that is going to be a class four injury, uh, Doc. So go ahead and roll a d20. Uh, I rolled a 12. Pops, uh, you get the worst of it. The scaffolding kind of collapsed in and around uh, a lot of your companions. As the chamber caves in, you go flying down 40 feet. And uh, unfortunately for you, Pops, you don't really get that natural shielding from the, uh, from the framework of the scaffolding. The explosion knocks the scaffolding away from the wall, and you were positioned and balanced in a way where you fall towards the wall and towards the rubble. Uh, and so when your, your descent is quick and painful, and uh, you slam into the ground, knocking all the wind out of your lungs... <clears throat> And you hear screaming and shouting. Everyone's ears are ringing from the reverberated explosion. You hear Eliza shouting as well. And Pops, as you hit the ground, the world is spinning. Your ears are ringing. You're, you have spots in your vision uh, as you hit your head flying down. You're not 100% oriented at the moment. But you instinctively try to sit up and you can't. And you look to your right and your arm is pinned between two gigantic rocks with a piece of uh, of scaffolding stabbed through it. Uh, and it's wedged in there, and you suffer the critical injury, loss of limb. <laughs> and uh, uh, you will permanently lose the use of that limb if it is not successfully surgically reattached to you. The, the rest of you, uh, there's, the room is filled with smoke. You get lungs full of ash and smoke and dust. Uh, you're coughing it out. Your, your teeth are gritty and dry. All of a sudden, it's like all of the vapor was like evaporated out of you as you, as you inhale just smoke and, and soot. And uh, as uh, the 
smoke is clearing. It's pitch black, but you all have light sources on you and I, and you have those hard hats on still, or at least they're nearby having probably fallen off your head at this point, but there's plenty of, of lights that can be turned on to give you a lay of the land. You see Clayton and Juliet are kind of encased in a, a mangled mesh of wood and metal from the scaffolding. Uh, Cyrus is kind of tumbled off on top of that. His leg kind of stuck into some of the metal. Eliza is laying uh, on the ground, not too far from where Pops is, her head bleeding, but she is breathing and moving. And Pops is sitting there uh, away from most of the, the scaffolding, uh, his arm uh, bloodied and mangled in this, uh, in this rock. Cyrus? Yeah, I'm here. Everybody sound off. Ah, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, Pops? Pops? <sighs> All right. Okay, that's something. Eliza? I'm here. I'm here, she says, trying to like get up and she like seems a little dizzied from hitting her head and she kind of like slumps down. I just just need a minute. Everybody stay where you are. Uh, And can I like get myself free from from this? Yeah, it's it's painful, but you can you can uh, uh, pull your leg out from that that metal that twisted it. Okay, All right. Okay. what what's the damage? Who what's wrong? Who needs help? I'm all good. I'm all right. I think. Uh, and I try to like shove some stuff off of a uh, off of me. Eliza starts getting up again. She goes, "I don't feel so." And then she looks up and and uh, pops. You you see she sees you and she just lets out a scream. Cyrus, Cyrus, pops, pops. Hey, pops. Uh, I'll run over to him. Yeah, you see he is laying there uh, badly beaten up uh, from the fall and his arm twisted the wrong direction, uh, pinned between uh, uh, two rocks with uh, a shard of metal stabbing through it. Hey, Pops. Hey, how you feeling? Can't can't wriggle my fingers, Dr. Finch. That, that can't be a good sign. You just stay right where you are, Pops. I'm going to fix you right up. You're going to be fine. You look great. You look great. You just don't need, need to not move right now. Um, Clayton. You're my nurse. Juliet, take this. And I'm going to throw her a tier two healing tonic. Give that to Eliza. Make sure she's okay. Clayton, uh, I'm going to need your help with some of these heavier rocks. On it. I move some of the scaffolding and rocks and free myself and make my way over towards Pops. Uh, Yeah, Clayton, uh, given the specific uh, situation you find yourself in, I will let you assist Cyrus's first aid with athletics as you are trying to simply free the arm so Cyrus can get at it and operate. It just needs space to work. It doesn't, doesn't hurt yet. Uh, I reckon that'll change pretty soon. That's good. You're doing great. You're doing great, Pops. <laughs> I got two successes. All right. That is a plus two for your first aid test to uh, cure this injury, uh, Cyrus. Um, however, the as you may imagine, the situational modifiers are bad. It is <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> it is very dirty, very dark. Um, so you would be operating at a minus four, given how terrible the situation is, and that burning, like uh, the burning, like sensation of like the rock and stuff in like your lungs that you haven't really fully been able to cough out. But with uh, with the assistance of Clayton, uh, that that nets it to a minus two. And with my uh, tier three med kit, that actually gets me back to regular. Uh, so basically, I pop out my med kit and I let it do its magic. So I'll, I'm gonna uh, like 
anesthetize him in the shoulder first so that like he goes he goes numb and then i'll like flip out the bone saw and like cut out uh this the top of this metal part uh and then i'm gonna be like okay little pinch and i'm gonna Mm. pull the metal thing (laughs) out of his arm (laughs) and then i'm gonna like i'll set the bone and i'll like i'll get to stapling (laughs) i'm gonna fix you up pops this is what I do. Uh, go ahead and roll that first aid test, Pops. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you tell me your your favorite your favorite story? We never talked about it. Uh, no way. I suppose we haven't. Mm, um, favorite story. Uh, it's in the very beginning of Alana's travels. Um, she hadn't learned anything yet. She's just like all the rest of us, right? Uh, she started, um, on a road. She wasn't going anywhere. She didn't have a destination. She wasn't uncomfortable, wasn't poor yet. Just had enough, but nowhere to go. And the only thing she knew was to keep walking. And so she walked. And she walked through the desert, and there was nothing And she walked through the forest, and there was nothing. She walked through the, through the swamps, and started to see life, but nothing that could speak. And finally, she came upon a farmland, uh, rice paddies, um, and there were cultivated, and then there were cows, animals of the field, uh, beasts of burden. She happened upon a house, and there was only one person in that house, and she was a child, and she asked Alana, the first question she'd ever heard, where are you going? And she said, I don't know. And the child said, then here you are. Stay here for the night. We'll feed you. We will clothe you. We ask for nothing in return. And when you're ready... You can leave. And from that moment on, Alana never left without a destination. That's right. That's my favorite one, too. There you go. Cyrus is going to fix you right up. Mm. Ready? How many hits did you get, Cyrus? I got four hits. I don't know how many I need, but I know it's one less. (laughs) So uh, to treat a class four injury, you would need five hits. However, you have the doctor talent which means it takes you one less hit to treat an injury. So getting four hits, you successfully restore Pops's arm to him. <laughs> There's a loud cracking sound as the sort of functional uh, framework you've uh, installed onto his arm, an amalgamation of like technology and gears to like allow him use of his arm while it like naturally, uh, uh, while the like bones naturally mend, uh, sort of a, a, a robotic cast comes online and twists Pop's arm back to where it needs to be. And it hurts like hell. All you like hadn't really felt any pain up until this moment. You were still like in shock, but that one, you felt all of that. <laughs> Uh, it works. Well, Pops, <laughs> I know where you ain't going. <laughs> While this is happening and talking to Pops, I'll go over, like, unbury myself and walk over to Eliza and uh, and, and hand her the health tonic. 
and uh, can you drink this for me? She looks a little dazed, you know, and she's listening to Pops tell uh, uh, tell his story, and she like nods and and sips it down with a little assistance from you, and like her breathing kind of stabilizes a little bit. Um, you're wiping like the blood from her head, uh, and you see the flow kind of like stops up thirty or so seconds after she in- ingests the tonic, and she like her her pupils like kind of. Uh, restore to a normal size and she looks a little just a little less concussed and she's like blinking her vision clear and she flinches as pops shouts as his arm is reoriented by the medical cast put there by cyrus uh and she seems uh uh pretty well restored from that good girl (laughs) dr finch i'm sorry i ever doubted your medical license Hey, uh, you know, for what it's worth, it's not my license, but the guy I took it from taught me everything I know. (laughs) Yeah, and you guys uh, sit there and you look up and you see the caved-in chamber above you, uh, around... 15 to 20 feet above you is where uh, is where the rocks have all collapsed. You're kind of in a dome uh, created at the base from uh, from the rocks not being able to fully crush all of the scaffolding. The metal and woodwork kind of uh, keeping it from being a complete leveling of this chamber. So you think that was part of the tour? I think that's exactly what the tour was. I don't think our friendly tour guide's coming back. Hang on, let me see if I can fix my ankle here. Can I physician heal thyself and see if I can treat my own injury? <laughs> yeah, it will be at a minus two because it's hard to operate on yourself. Reasonable. <laughs> I also have four hits. Okay, you uh, you inject uh, or you pull your your med kit and you a little fine needle points out of it and you very precisely uh, uh, inject into certain like nerves on your ankle and like the muscles like kind of. Uh, relax and uh, you can kind of rotate it without any pain and uh, and you're able to like stand without limping as you treat your class two injury. Looking around, you do see that amongst all the rubble and everything, there is actually uh, a tunnel at the base of this chamber that hasn't been completely caved in. And judging by the map, Pops has, uh, that is the tunnel that connects the Winter's Chamber to the first Baitau Chamber. Is, is that the chamber that collapsed all those years ago? Baitau three is the one that fully kind of collapsed. Um, and it, and it destabilized numbers two and one. Um, but they didn't fully, uh, judging by the papers that pops has, they didn't fully collapse. They were a little destabilized perhaps and, and rendered, uh, and rendered dangerous. And actually you do see, as you're looking down this tunnel, uh, it does, uh, has like a little, uh, a little like sign tamped into it above it that says, you know, buy on it. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, old kind of knocked over and broken from the commotion of this cave-in, uh, there's a few, um, wooden bars that were planted in front of this that said condemned. (laughs) I get the feeling we're not out of the forest quite yet. Dr. Finch, considering what you've done for me and the least I can do is repay you here. I uh, unstrap the gun from from my leg and I, I pass it over to him. We have similar hesitations to end people's lives. Uh, my weapon here, it's filled with shock dart ammo and uh, I'd like for you to have it. I appreciate it, but you know, 
I can defend myself if I gotta. You, you, you keep what's yours. Uh, you don't owe me anything. I mean, <laughs> you gave me a second chance. Figure uh, I owe you one, if anything. I guess that's why they call you Mulligan. <laughs> well, at the very least, hang on to it until we're out of this cave. And uh, if I refuse to take it back, then uh, you can sell it or do something with it. All right, Pops, if you insist. I do. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll, uh, I'll holster that gun. I suppose I've got the map. Um, is there something, is there, is there a, what seems to be a pathway that, w- that hasn't been blocked up that we can start making our way toward? Uh, the only pathway you see is the one that leads to the uh, first Baitao chamber. Uh, it seems the only path for you to walk at all, but uh, you do feel just the slightest tinge of futility as you know that the third chamber is, uh, is caved in, but... It's either that or stand here and not do anything. Because looking up at the at the ceilings and the cave-in, there's no way through that. Well, it looks like there's only one way to go. Uh, only advice I've got is to proceed with caution, which I think is fairly obvious. I will put on my hard hat, turn on its light, and head on into that there uh, hallway. Oh, that's right. Yeah, everybody find your hard hats. This is a hard hat area. It's been uh, prone to cave-ins, as I've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Has it? You've noticed. Yeah, Pops will follow with uh, shield extended. And you guys make your way down to the first Baitao chamber. It is a shorter chamber, uh, less of a vertical shape to it as well. It kind of digs back in and around a little bit. It's a little, it's a little wider set on the walls. They're cu- they curve slightly. And, uh, the scaffolding here is still intact from what it seems. Very rusty, very old, definitely not traversed any time recently. It makes the Mikano chamber definitely seem much more safe. And, um, as you guys begin carefully making your way down, I will need uh, just a gymnastics test from everybody uh, to kind of keep your footing and not step in the wrong places. Hey, anybody got some rope or like a grappling hook? Now that you uh, mention it, I do. Well, maybe we should keep those at the ready. All right. Um, so I'd like to play to I'd like to play to the gallery. Okay. Uh, spend some grit and uh, count uh, better numbers. How many hits does that give you? I've got three hits. Okay, so three hits from Pops. Two for Cyrus. Two for Cyrus. That would be five for Clayton again. Uh, also five for Juliet again. Walking uh, gingerly, you slowly, maybe a little frighteningly, make your way down this old, rusty, decrepit scaffolding. Um and it takes you a little bit. It's you have a few scares. There's a point where uh, Eliza uh, steps in the wrong spot, and her foot just goes through a rotten uh, board, and she uh, falls against one of the uh, rusted, not quite securely fastened guardrails, which then like kind of buckles underneath her. But uh, you guys are able to like kind of catch her and pull her up, uh, and the uh, the guardrail thankfully doesn't give away completely when she slammed up against it, uh, and she kind of stands up and like rebalances herself and says. Guess I'm still a little bit woozy. I'm sorry. And you eventually make your way down to this chamber. Uh, it's only about it was only about thirty feet down, but it was plenty difficult uh, to traverse. And you see, the only exit from this chamber is to go into Bai Tao Two. 
It was always going to come to this, I think. We're making our way. And uh, uh, as you begin to enter into Bai Tao uh, Chu, you actually see that you're entering at the bottom of the chamber. It was built up from this pathway. And the scaffolding of this, ro- this chamber probably broke and fell apart, or at least was so destabilized that it has since broken and fallen apart after the initial incident. Uh, so rubble lays around on the ground. It's a, it's a less flat, smooth path along the, the ground of this chamber. Um, and you also see kind of a, a pleasant sight to your eyes here in the dark, um, uh, as there seems to be clear, uh, clean pools of water, uh, kind of built up, uh, natural springs, uh, that have started to refill this chamber. Um, and, uh, if your mouths were capable of watering through all the dust and grit that you've inhaled, uh, uh they would. Uh, I'll, uh, make sure this water's safe to drink with my survival kit. Okay, uh, you can go ahead and roll survival, take a, a minus three to it. Given the fact that there's plenty of, like, dirt and grime in here that you're gonna have to, like, dial in the settings to kind of finite on your, on your survival kit to get a, a clear reading that's not just like, this is muddy water. <laughs> <laughs> I got two successes. Okay, uh, as far as you can tell, there are no toxins or tonics in this water. It may have a little high of a, a salt spike, but you can't tell if it's, uh, like, salt water. Also, it wouldn't make any sense for there to be salt water here. Looks good to me. Uh, drink them if you want them. I got these collapsible cups. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pops will take a, take a cup and, and, uh, and a swig of water. Pops, you take a swig of this water, and you are not even able to make yourself swallow it. It is so, so salty. <laughs> it is like drinking a ga- just just pure salt. The sensors on, on Clayton's uh, survival kit must have been off or something, and you actually are even even in spitting out the water as you drink it, you uh, you instantly like turn away from your companions and vomit a little bit. Oh, oh my. Okay. Y'all right there, Pops? That good? Is disgusting. And Eliza lets out another shout and points at the puddle, which begins to move. What? And and you watch as it, before your eyes, kind of forms a shape and solidifies into a small, knee-high, tall, hunched over creature kind of a grotesque creature it's got thin little uh curved arms sticking out of its chest webbed feet like uh ripples of of like flabbiness that make up its teardrop shaped body and its necklace face uh on the front of it uh looks up at you with dark uh dark beady eyes and like a a, a paunchy uh, uh nose and uh an upturned lip as it goes yeah! <laughs> <laughs> And it begins immediately running away from you guys. Uh, you see it actually, uh, it's, it's leg seems, it seems like it's got like a, a bum or an injured leg as it, uh, kind of runs and bumps into one of the, uh, uh, bumps into one of the walls and, uh, lets out like another scream and keeps running. And actually you see as there's a couple other puddles in this, uh, in this area and they immediately form into these creatures as well. Uh, five more of these creatures form out of these puddles and I'll go, and they, uh, ah! clasping their little hands against their chest in fear, uh, go running away from you uh, as fast as they can. The one with the bum leg kind of getting left behind by the other four, but still gets uh, down the tunnel towards the third Baitao chamber going, ah! Ah! ah, it's these, 
the these fucking things. <laughs> Do I know what they are? Uh, you can go ahead and roll a survival check. Uh, plus two, given the readings that you already have on your survival kit. <laughs> two successes. These are creatures uh, you've not actually run into personally, uh, Clayton, but you know of their existence, and uh, they are called squonks. <laughs> they are small, um, frightful creatures that um, have the unique and strange ability to dissolve into puddles of water. Uh, the water, by all means of, uh, of detection other than tasting, uh, appears to be normal, clean water. And that's actually their hunting technique. Uh, however, they only prey on small uh, little animals, like you know bunnies and, and squirrels, little, little vermins. Um, they're terrified of larger creatures. <laughs> and, uh, and their hunting tactic is to look like a, a clean pool of water and then pop up and then eat their meal and then go back to being a puddle of water. Uh, but when confronted with a larger uh, creature such as uh, such as a human, uh, they are terrified and are are most likely to flee. Though if cornered, they can bite you, and they do have a rather potent uh, venom, which isn't quite lethal uh, to uh, to humans, but is you know does pack a punch. And uh, and uh, you also know that um, mining is actually uh, uh, a pretty terrible thing for squonk as a species uh because while they're in their uh while they're in their puddle form uh if they're in terrain that gets rain they let the rain kind of move them along uh so that you know they're more safe because they're they're nearly indestructible when uh when in their water form but uh what happens is when the when rain drains into a mine shaft um, a squonk ends up uh, being inside a mine and they it's very, very common for squonks to not be able to find their way out. Um, uh, mines are pretty prone to having minor to major squonk infestations be uh, because they kind of drain down into the uh, into the mine and then can't escape and then just kind of survive on the on the occasional rat or other burrowing creature that finds them. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, their life expectancy is relatively low within, uh, within the mines. Uh, uh, usually they can be exterminated before they cause any real problems for the miners. Well, Hey, maybe they know the way through here. If they're running away, what about that one? Maybe we can follow it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's follow this thing. See where it goes. Uh, so you guys, uh, make haste, uh, <laughs> pop still, uh, kind of spitting, the taste of the squonk out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, and you make your way down towards uh, Baitao 3, uh, the one squonk with the, uh, with the wounded leg hobbling where you can see uh, off in the distance. You guys are kind of able to like uh, catch up and it's like <laughs> as it sees you approaching and, uh, and continues to try to hobble its way away. I, uh, I, put, I put a hand out and kind of lower myself Closer to its level, and I just uh, easy, easy, not gonna hurt you. Take it easy. Uh, you can go ahead and roll a wrangle check to see if you can tame this wild squonk temporarily. I got five successes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're rolling against a three. So is that five net hits? That is five net hits. So the squonk 
is trying to scurry away and it looks, it looks over its shoulder, but in order to look over its shoulder, it's got to basically turn its entire body since it doesn't really have a neck. And it, and as it does, it like trips over a rock with its bum leg and like scrambles and presses itself up against the wall. And it's terrified as, uh, as Clayton steps out in front of the group, uh, kind of putting his hands back to stop everybody. And he kind of lowers himself down to the squonks level and starts approaching slowly. And the squonks like, as uh, as it's kind of cowering against the against the the rocks, and Clayton, you reach out a hand, you you speak soothingly at it. Easy there, easy there. I'm not gonna hurt you. Looks like you got a bum leg there. And it's uh, it's easy. big black beady eyes uh, look at you wide as you uh, as you approach its little sniveling like nose like uh curling as it's like showing its sharp little teeth and uh and you get a little bit closer and uh you like open up your palm and you have just a little bit of uh jerky in the palm of your hand and goes a little wide and it goes <coughs> and it uh jumps forward uh and snatches the jerky out of your hand and jumps back against the wall and like nib- and nibbles on it like you know wolfing it down and then it like looks at you and you get a little bit closer. You put out a hand and it kind of bats your finger away with one of its tiny little, uh, tiny little webbed hands. And then you put out your finger again and it kind of like touches your finger instead of batting it away. And, uh, you think you, you think you can, uh, touch it without freaking it out now. I give another little nibble of jerky. <laughs> I, I kind of look at its leg. Uh, yeah, it looks like, uh, <clears throat> maybe this squonk got in a fight with some of the other squonks. Um, or maybe ran afoul of a very large rat, um, but uh, uh, it's got a it's got a wound in its in its leg right on the, like the heel. Uh, looks like it has like a bite wound there um, that really just needs to be like cleaned and dressed uh, tightly for this thing to like heal properly. It looks like it could use a doctor. I don't really do animals. I don't think. Only one way to find out. Is it is it small enough? Like I can like pick it up. Oh yeah, yeah. It's about knee high, so it's like kind of it's uh, kind of big, but not so big that you wouldn't be able to like lift it up. And they're they're not particularly heavy or dense creatures. So I'll I'll see if it'll let me pick it up, and then I want to try to take it over to uh, uh, to Doc Cyrus. It's like nibbling on the next piece of jerky, and and you look at its leg, and then you reach out and kind of gently like pick it up. And at first, it's like. <laughs> As you as you start to lift it, and then it kind of like scurries up against you, uh, letting you pick it up because it seems to trust you for the most part. And its tiny little uh, its tiny little paw uh, its tiny little hands like grip onto your shoulder as you kind of hold it against your chest and walk over towards Cyrus. And Cyrus, you can see the uh, the injured foot there. Okay, that shouldn't be so hard. I think I can bandage that, and I uh, I'll pop open the compartment of my med kit that just has like bandages in it. <laughs> yeah. You, you just got to clean the wound and wrap it up. I'm not, it's not even really a first aid test to, to fully patch it up with your med kit. You got it covered. So, uh, you, you reach out and, uh, uh, you, you know, squirt some disinfectant and some, uh, alcohol on the, on the foot and the squonk is like, Nyeh! and like, uh, and actually like manages to turn its body enough to give you a glare 
Cyrus and it like kind of like bites <laughs> in the air at you and it tries to scramble up uh, higher on uh, Clayton's shoulders. Um, but it's not really a creature that could sit on your shoulder at all. So it's like it's not really making any progress. And uh, and then Cyrus, you're able to lean in and like wrap up its foot and then it like kind of wiggles its body to try and get out of your out of your hands. Um, uh, Clayton, once its foot's all wrapped up, I'll I'll gently set it down. Uh, and it, you set it down and it immediately like kind of like scurries towards, uh, towards the wall that it was hiding against. Uh, and then it like stops for a second and like kind of turns and it can't look at its foot to see what's different. <laughs> 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 it can kind of like bend its belly to like look downwards and like arch its foot up to kind of like look and it gets like, a you can see it's getting like a little bit of a glimpse of what its foot has on it. And it kind of like rubs the foot on the ground thinking that there's something weird and it kind of like hops around and then like kind of stands, puts its weight between both of its feet, looks up at, at Clayton. I tip my hat. <laughs> Have him lead on. I don't really speak squonk. <laughs> I just know a couple phrases. <laughs> and, uh, and the, uh, the squonk begins to like walk down the tunnel towards by Tao chamber three. And then like it walks a little ways and then it turns its body back and looks towards the, th- uh, towards the five of you. Well, you heard him. Let's go. <laughs> you do know a few phrases. And, uh, uh, the squonk kind of waddles. It's no longer running from you guys. So it just kind of like waddles its way, uh, a little few paces ahead of you. If you guys get a little too close, it gets a little skittish and like runs forward a little bit to keep that distance between all of you and then keeps waddling. And uh, you guys eventually enter uh, Chamber 3. On the map, it was originally a much larger, very long chamber. All the other chambers you were in were very, like, vertical up and down. This one actually builds outwards uh, uh, horizontally, or at least it used to. Uh, instead, the entrance of by, uh, the entrance of Chamber 3 uh, only extends uh, about 20 to 30 feet before it is just rubble and and destruction and and stone as uh at, from the cavern and you guys uh, uh walk in and you see uh a bunch of squonks standing in there <laughs> and they are like Meh! and they and they go rushing <laughs> away from you and uh you watch as they kind of scramble up over some of the rubble and actually uh on the left wall just right up against where the rubble is you actually see a doorway with a tunnel leading downwards and this isn't on your map at all pops and the squonks go running down that down that tunnel i have a feeling this excavation has a something of a significance to what we're looking for and this being the location of the cave-in is a convenient way to keep people out and the the one squonk that whose foot you fixed is just standing there by the door looking at you well let's get a move on and uh as you guys start walking towards it it goes and runs away from you down the down the stairs (laughs) (laughs) you know I think I like this tour guide better than our last tour guide, personally. Oh, yeah. This one's much more personable. (laughs) (laughs) I I know you don't speak much squonk, but as soon as it apologizes to us, kill it. (laughs) That's not funny. Kill squonk. What is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) You guys make your way down this uncharted tunnel, which angles downward. At this point, you would guess that you are well over 400 feet below the surface. And eventually this path levels out into a long horizontal tunnel that's heading back eastward. 
<laughs> and you guys get down there and reflecting off of the light sources you have, you see a bunch of beady eyes of all six squonks just kind of standing in the tunnel to your right, which is actually westward. Um, and the tunnel kind of ends there and dead ends. And they're just kind of all pushed up against against that wall watching you with the one with the bandaged foot standing in front of them. And they're all just kind of like watching, not sure if they should be uh, attacking you or not. So wait, we've reached a dead end? The space to your right is a dead end. The space to your left heads eastward. And that is a long tunnel farther than you can see. But the squonks have huddled up against the wall to your right. And this isn't on your map, Pops. No, it's not, but uh, it looks like it's leading off in the same direction as uh, that first tunnel that that, uh, Mrs. Hutchins wouldn't let us go down in the first place. Yeah, judging by the angle of all these chambers that you've been going down, you're definitely much, much farther to the west than that central elevator shaft. But you are correct that from the elevator shaft, there was a tunnel leading eastward that she didn't want you to go down. It's just you are currently positioned underground and far to the west of that central elevator shaft as a point of reference. I pull out my totally busted, useless device and tap the wall twice. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not getting any readings. (laughs) Actually, you tap the wall. And as you pull away the device, jokingly not blinking the light, you do see some light and you look and you actually can see just the faintest of glows in this tunnel, almost like little, little glowy specks of dust. They're not, not consolidated in any one place, just like the smallest dusting of a, of a golden, some might say luminescent (laughs) glow. (laughs) Wait a second. I'm going to give the squonks a, a handful of jerky and start heading <laughs> towards the tunnel. I'm just gonna kind of toss it towards them. <laughs> so you kind of you kind of toss like a, a few like little bits of jerky on the ground, and all the squonks scramble and start picking it up and like press themselves up against that wall again, nibbling on it and like. <laughs> I start heading towards the tunnel to check out what's probably luminescence. Yeah, you walk up to where uh, where Cyrus is, and and all of you can see it's again. It's not like a nugget of luminescence or anything like that. Um, and it's not really a consolidated, like a big smattering of this kind of dust, but you just see like almost just like little, little specks here and there, uh, uh, scattered around on the walls and ceilings and floor of this, uh, of this tunnel, nothing big, nothing small, just literal luminescence dustings. Dr. French, it looks like we're about to strike old Lou. <laughs> enough to get a lucy prospector excited if he were dusting for it that's for sure well we've only got one direction to go in the first place might as well uh go in a direction that looks lucrative what is that from the scriptures uh, more from my own personal book of wisdom that's a book i'm inclined to follow we'll head down this tunnel under the earth go in who knows where in the dark uh, Mrs. Hunt, would uh, it make you more comfortable if I stood with uh, Miss Valancourt so that you can keep an eye out with your weapons? I can shield her from any danger. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed there, Padre. It's a, you know, shield's good for lack of fallen rock or dark spaces. You guys watch as Eliza uh, runs a finger along the, the wall and kind of uh, looks at the one speck of glowy dust residue that she gets on her finger, kind of like rubbing uh, her index finger and her thumb together to like 
sprinkle it onto the ground. And she goes, I can't believe it. It's one thing to hear it said. It's a, it's a different thing to see it. And who told Miss Hutchins to do what she did? Who? And she like falls, falls silent, kind of overwhelmed. Eliza, we don't know who Hutchins was working for. We're going to find out. And uh, if I know Juliet, at least, we're going to bring him to justice. Stay strong, for now at least. Still a little more to discover here. She sits there for a second, looks to Juliet and Clayton, and then kind of cracks a smile and goes, Always trouble with you two. Remind me never to go anywhere with the two of you again. I always thought I was the bad luck charm. <laughs> Try being illuminated. I'm going to nod and move forward. It's the best way to think about. Maybe there's a bigger space on the other end of this tunnel. Are you are you going in front, Juliet? Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, there will be a less small, dark place. Uh, maybe at the other end of this tunnel. So You doing all right? You you you've been doing well so far. Uh, I'm fine. Just you know, I, I don't like it so much. Right. We'll get you above ground soon. Okay, that sounds good. Forward and not underneath hundreds of thousands of pounds of rock. Soon. Okay. That sounds downright reasonable. Okay. And you guys begin heading eastward down this tunnel. Every once in a while, getting little glints and glimmers of of dust as you go. And it's and it's a pretty long stretch. This tunnel it just goes almost straight eastward, just carving in, carving in the little specks and dustings of luminescence. Occasionally, getting a little uh, a little more consolidated, a little denser as you go. Little dust pockets, almost as you go. Not quite enough to mine, but enough to make uh, a prospector want to continue carving down this path. And as you guys make your way, you hear the little scuffling and, and bickering of squonk behind you as you're, as you're moving your way down this tunnel and a, a decent ways behind you enough so that when you turn your light back that way, you see the glowing beady or you go, you see the light shining off of their black beady eyes. Uh, uh, the, the pack of six squonk are following you. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like bumping into each other. And the one at the front is the one with the little uh, bandaged foot. Don't look now. It looks like we have a tail. <laughs> Eliza kind of chuckles and goes, they are kind of cute for the grotesque little things they are. They sure don't taste good. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time after a little bit, you start to hear something besides just the five of you and squonk. <laughs> Down the tunnel, kind of echoing distantly, you hear noise, possibly machinery, possibly people shouting, kind of hard to discern exactly. Just like a very faint echoing cacophony of something, life perhaps. Yeah, we keep going. Uh, maybe, maybe a little faster. Where there's noise, there's space to make noise. <laughs> <laughs> Do the squonk react to the noise at all? No, no, they're still a ways behind you. Um, but whenever you guys stop, they stop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as you guys continue forward, uh, you actually see uh, light besides the light of your uh, hard hats or flashlights or survival kits. Uh, you see light at the end of this tunnel. Maybe we should turn our lights off so they don't see us coming. 
It's good thinking, Dr. Finch. And I'll turn the, my headlamp off. All right. Standing in uh, in the darkness, um, kind of looking to the left and the right, you can see the little glow of gold luminescent flecks like stars in the walls of, around you and the ceilings above you. Uh, you can actually see like with your lights off, like it's the density of the uh, of the luminescent dusting has increased uh, significantly at this point down this tunnel. And you uh, continue, I would presume, cautiously towards the light. I'm going to try to regain some shine. Okay, using your once per day uh, natural recovery. The yeah, you can roll either endure or determination. That is two successes. All right, you get two shine back. And uh, I'm going to use night vision. All right. Since all our lamps are off, y'all can just see with through me. Three successes. So you get you are able to see in the dark um, uh, as. Uh, as the darkness kind of peels away and you're able to see this tunnel properly. Um, but uh, uh, you also get a plus one to observe. You can, you can see the little pack of squonks behind you. Um, they've increased the distance between, you guys, uh, between themselves and you uh, a little bit, um, but they're still following you, it seems. Um, and you can kind of see like a faint glow of life energy around them, uh, making them a little easier to see in the darkness. And... Anyone who is uh, trying to proceed forward and kind of be the the front part of your group, or all of you, if that is the case, uh, need to roll sneak to approach this light at the end of this tunnel. The number you are trying to beat is a 12. I've got two 11s, Tommy. Two of them. (laughs) I got a (laughs) 5. I also got 11. A 10. Okay, uh, so you're continuing your way uh, towards the light. Your eyes tr- uh, beginning to adjust. You all can see the vision that um, Clayton has of the uh, of the tunnel with his night vision. And as you guys are kind of moving closer towards this light, cautiously advancing, the squonk behind you go, and they actually kind of scatter and pull back a little bit, kind of hugging little alcoves and and half uh, half like tunnels in the in the walls. Um, and ducking behind rocks and you all kind of get distracted and turn that way as they kind of scatter out of nowhere. And as you look that way, you see your shadows are kind of moving as the light that you are approaching seems to not be entirely stationary and you turn back and, uh, breaking against just the general light that you are almost to, uh, you see the figure of two people, uh, walking towards you, uh, apparently with bright, flashlights they seem to have just rounded a corner uh and they're and they're walking down this way and uh you uh you hear shit why are we even bothering to go down this way and another one responds well you know technically the winter's chamber does connect to here so it's worth checking due diligence and whatnot yeah but why us and as you guys kind of like are looking for places to like press up against or hide, uh, you realize that it's really only squonk sized alcoves and hiding spots in this <laughs> tunnel. <laughs> um, and there's not really anywhere for you to duck or hide. And um, the, the conversation you're hearing is interrupted as one of them goes, what? Who the hell? Oh, shit, it's them. I shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> I use lithe on myself. All right, so uh, Clayton, you instinctively uh, channel luminescence into your body to uh, uh, enhance your finesse. And Juliet, 
immediately as you hear them say, oh shit, it's them. That's good enough for you. You grab your, uh, you grab your, your pistols, clear leather and pull the trigger. Uh, the one on the left, uh, she rolled a nine. That's three net hits. That's 24 damage with zero piercing. And uh, the person to the right rolled a seven. I have a 13 high. That gives me two net hits, but I'm going to spend grit to twist the knife and make it also 24 damage. Uh, so in a flash, uh, Juliet's guns are out and smoking as she fires two simultaneous shots and the two figures ahead of you uh, uh, fly back, dropping to the ground uh, dead. And that is three XP. Because uh, I believe this matter was settled with a gun. Uh, justice has been delivered through the swiftest means possible. And I believe, I am presuming, these people are evil and they have been shot dead. Uh, yeah, as they drop, you see that they were, in fact, armed. They had flashlights on the end of rifles. They're wearing uh, gray, uh, dirtied jumpsuits. They had rifles. Um, and as you guys walk up to inspect the bodies, uh, Cyrus, you recognize one of these men. Wait a minute. Who's that? Is that? Who is that? <laughs> you, you can't quite place his name. It might have been Mikey or Mickey, maybe Matt. You're not 100% sure, but he's definitely an O'Malley. Mm, Marius. Mm. Michelangelo. <laughs> this guy's family. I know this guy's family. I've seen this guy before. That's an O'Malley guy. I've never been sure, more sure of anything in my life. Juliet, I was going to chide you. I'm done. We're done chiding. <laughs> well shot. <laughs> well, uh, it's time to get your gun out because uh, there's probably more where that came from. Where there's one rat, there's always more. You hear a squonk go, <laughs> And you guys look down the tunnel towards the light and the clamoring of, uh, of shouting and machinery echoing towards you. And you uh, look down at the dead woman and dead man before you, uh, one of which is definitely family. And you look back as the six squonk that are following you cluster back together uh, a good distance away from the loud noise of your gun. And that's where we'll end our session.